Welcome to the Philosophy of Fighting Podcast with your hosts, Arturo and Anu. Welcome, guys. Today we have a very special guest, a UFC fighter, a person with one of the most incredible stories I've ever read. And when we started this podcast and our Instagram, I, and he was kind enough to comment and share and like always be supportive. And uh, I'm so thankful that he's on Ian Heinish. Yeah. What's up, man? Yeah. So, uh, thank you, Ian, for joining us. Absolutely, man. You know, you guys have always put out um, good content. And so I respected that and saw you guys hustle and, you know, it's cool to get an interview with you. <laughs> Honestly, it's easy. I think when it comes to fighters, I, I want to believe I want to believe everybody has their own interesting story. But I think especially fighters for what got them into it and to choose a line of work that's both dangerous but famous, but requires a lot of work and effort. You know, you I think you breed a special type of person. And so, yeah, the content we share and the people that we have, it kind of makes it easy, I yeah. think, for people like us. So I wanted to go a little bit into your story. Like you've shared it before, but I want to share it a little bit anything. As a young kid, you were very hyperactive. You had ADD. And in fact, your parents put you into wrestling because of all that excess energy. And one thing that I thought was interesting as a teacher is that your teachers gave you a special pass so you could make laps around the school. Yeah. Yeah. I just had a crazy amount of energy growing up. And, you know, it was just like... Like, I just had to move. I had to go. I had ADD, so they said. But I was just, I just had this this fire inside of me that I had to let out every single day, a nonstop source of energy. And, uh, you know, it got me in trouble a lot. It hindered me from some things, but it also really helped me with some things like sports, wrestling, because I was ready to go all the time. And, uh, you know, I found out later in my career, having a coach pull me back was actually better than to push me more because I was already ready to go all the time. So, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a lot of kids deal with it. And I feel like if you would wear your kids out in sports, athletics, athletics and get them outside, you know, it would <laughs> it would save a lot of kids from getting prescribed amphetamines and crazy stuff that these doctors prescribe hyper kids. So that was the next part of the story. You half of half of that energy was utilized correctly, right? In athletics. But then once doctors gave you met like Adderall, things changed. And you became somebody that consumed a lot of alcohol, consumed a lot of drugs, got into a little bit of trouble or a lot of trouble. And like I, I read that you had to go to a rehab in Utah, right? Like you were forcibly removed, like real stuff. But at the same time, you were also like a state champion in wrestling. Right. So half of you is like succeeding at these like high marks. And then the other half of you is in just like kind of this chaos mode. When you look back on your life, is that like how you also saw that? Yeah. So, you know, I, I come from a long line of addiction. My uncles, my dad, just a family curse generations. And, you know, I was a 13 year old kid and they gave me amphetamine. I was hooked. And then I was looking for more and more and I was using it to drink alcohol and I was you know, it turned into weed, turned into coke, turned into ecstasy. I was chasing everything. And when I think back, doing those kind of drugs at such a young age is terrible. And But yeah, I, that, that was a thing that was an issue that was hard for me to stop. 
to justify to stop doing it because I was going and I was winning. I was winning in wrestling. I was hungover, crashed my car, got a DUI, got dragged to a tournament, came out of a, a drunken like stoop and just went out and won the tournament. And it's just like, I, I was like, man, I can get messed up and still beat these guys. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and it was just, there was no reason for me to quit that I felt in my head back then. And so it that was, that was a huge part of the struggle. And I believe Adderall was a hundred percent was the gateway drug to everything that I did after that. But who knows if I would have went down that road, but giving a young kid, an athletic kid, amphetamine at a high dose at a young age and is not a good thing at all. When I would when I would party in college, the nickname for Adderall was Diet Coke. And and like the so like coke, like cocaine. And I remember like half of the group of friends didn't want to try coke they were like very against it yeah. and then sometimes that half would also sniff adderall and in my head i'm like do you know what you're doing like you're still like in a way like, like it was justified to them like hey at least i'm not doing coke where in my head i was like this is the same exact feeling you know if you put a blindfold on somebody and you give it to them whatever i digress yeah, no and i appreciate you saying that and that's that's an issue. Sorry, yeah, I feel like there's sorry. a little lag and choppiness in our in our video, but that's why I was getting ready to send you a message. But that's the issue with these prescription drugs because, it, like you said, like they're like, oh, it's just Adderall, though. Well, if you look at what Adderall is, it's amphetamine. So you're basically doing meth. You're snorting meth. It lasts forever. It's it's terrible for you. It's probably worse than coke in some ways, but either way, it's up there with it and. But people always say, oh, well, it's from the doctor. Oh, well, it's prescribed to me. So mm -hmm. then they justify that. And that justification gives them, you know, uh, a sense of, of of like, this is okay. I, I'm just doing what the doctor said. He prescribed it. And that's what makes it harder to quit because if you get caught in this pharmaceutical world, then, you know, you're going to struggle and, and you're going to believe, unfortunately, that you do need this stuff. And in reality, you need... You need God first off. You need exercise. You need healthy food. You need sunshine, and I believe you know these things. There is a there is a split. There is a place for pharmaceuticals, but it's a very short place. It's not a lifetime medication, especially for someone so young. Exactly right. There's a place for everything. I'm a little bit like East and Western medicine. Yeah, absolutely. Things that are that powerful, and heroin started with the Bayer Corporation. Cocaine, Novocaine, like. A lot of the drugs that we've used now started off as pharmaceutical drugs, you know, and yep. then that slowly seeped in. And it's that trick, like you said, with doctors. Unfortunately, it kind of took over your life. You got arrested for selling drugs. And you said instead of like fight or flight, you flew and you flew to Amsterdam. Right? Yeah. And then, and then in, in your journeys in Amsterdam as a fugitive, you lived an exciting life. You ended up in Morocco. And then from Morocco, I believe you were drinking like you were sleeping on the beach and somebody offered you an opportunity to make money as being a drug mule. Is that correct? Well, it, it, there was a few parts. So after, after Amsterdam, then I lived in Belgium and then I moved to England for like eight months. Then I moved to wow. Spain, the Canary Islands. So the Canary Islands, they're a little island off the coast of Morocco. So a lot of Moroccans there, but no, I wasn't in Morocco. I was in Spain, technically Africa geography, but English ran. Okay. So it was a very interesting place. But yeah, I mean, I was basically, you know, homeless, man. I was sleeping on the couch. I was rock bottom. I, I worked at a club for three months and all they paid was basically an alcohol. So it was like eight drinks while you're working, four drinks when you get off. And I was just, 
consuming so much and I was a full-blown alcoholic it was the probably the lowest point of my life and you know then these Colombians took me in like family and then you know they said hey gringo let's go make some money and at that time man when you have you don't really have much to live for or hope you're just like yeah let's go and so I went out and we started we started trafficking I was kind of a mule for them and then I started doing my own thing on top of helping them and that's how it progressed and you know 12 13 trips later got got caught at an airport taken to the hospital taken an x-ray and they found the drugs and I got a three and a half year sentence in in a Spanish prison. So I wanted to ask you about that. You were in the Canary Islands, right? Which is one of the most beautiful places in the world. And you were in a prison there. Yeah. Like, were there moments while you were in prison there where you were like, wow, this is still like a tropical paradise? Or did it feel like prison where it was like, shit, this is horrible. How did I end up here? I was a good kid from Colorado that was a great wrestler. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. It was a real eye-opener for me. Yeah, I mean, the weather was good for the most part all the time. We were on top of a mountain. It's called Tenerife Dos, and we lived on this mountain in this prison. And, you know, I mean, it was there was definitely some disadvantages there compared to being in America prison. It was the food was terrible. They barely fed us. They starved us a lot. Um, however, on the other side, we were able to wear our street clothes. We were able to do all these activities. There was a wrestling program called Lucha Canaria. And this is a uh, island style wrestling, kind of similar to Senegalese wrestling. I rolled up the coach, who is Juan Trota, who his son made it in the UFC years after, uh, and his and his son was the best to ever do this sport. Like he's a he's a legend over there. And his dad got into some trouble. His dad was locked up. His dad was coaching in the prison, and I rolled up. It usually took three months to get in. I rolled up, I pointed at my cauliflower ear, said, "Get me in this." They took me in day one and I fell back in love with wrestling, man. I fell back in love with wrestling. They had kickboxing there. I got my I got my ass kicked by a bunch of K1 fighters and guys who have been training in Thailand. But I was growing and I was sobering up for the first time in a, in, in a decade. I hadn't been sober and my mind was clearing and I was really contemplating my purpose on this earth and really finding my relationship with the Lord again and and God started to speak to me and he's like, you're going to get out and you're going to be UFC champ. And I'll tell these guys this and they laugh. And it's kind of funny. I stayed in touch with a bunch of them and they've been following my career. And it just became more and more clear to me that I was going to do big things and in the UFC and use my platform and turn this crazy testimony that I have into and these troubles that I had in my life into a testimony. And that was going to be able to inspire other people because I was told, like, I got out of prison at age 26. They said, you're too old. You've done too many drugs. You're too far gone. You're too late to the game. And everyone said that 29 years old, bam, broke into the UFC. 31, I was top 10 in the world. And, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm just a, a guy who did, who was rock bottom in a foreign prison cell drug addict. And, you know, if I can elevate to that, but going back to your question, I looked around and it became apparent. I said, man, I'm not like these guys, man. I have a bigger purpose because in the prison, there was a lot of drugs. There was a path you could take. There was a, it was a lot of freedom in that prison and compared to an American prison. I'm, I'm blessed. I didn't get locked up in Venezuela. I'm so blessed. I didn't get locked up in Colombia. My life would be so different. I'm blessed I didn't get locked up in Aruba. And I'm blessed that I was locked up in this prison because there was there was activities, there was school, there was church, there was 
learning a second language and uh, all these opportunities. And that's why it's always been on my heart that after fighting, after crypto, what I'm doing now, you know, I want to open up this treatment center slash halfway house slash MMA gym where I want to bring in young kids with prison sentences instead of them going to crime school in this revolving door business, because that's what prison is in America. They can come to this program and they can they can learn about God. They can train like they've never trained before, get humbled like they've never been and learn to use and channel that energy that I once had and still do have, but channel it in a positive way because they don't have fathers. They don't have role models. So if I can put maybe fighters in this position, like retired fighters have great mentors around, not only will I believe it will change lives, like permanently change their life, but I believe it could produce champions. I love that. Are you familiar with the fighter Evan Tanner? Rest in peace. Evan Tanner. So Ian, you should look up Evan Tanner. Evan yeah. Tanner is like Arturo and mine, like favorite fighter ever. Mm. He's similar to you. He had a wrestling background. He grew up in Texas. And I, I remember his MySpace. It kind of shaped who I wanted to become in life mm. too. Like he was like, I was a bouncer. I was a writer. I was a substitute. I was a contractor. Just a whole list of jobs. And he's like, at one point, I was the UFC champion. You know, and he came from like a tough background. He also struggled with alcoholism. He ended up losing the belt to Rich Franklin. But after oh, okay. that, he he said he wanted to become a, he wanted to build like almost like a school gym. And yeah, like raise the next UFC champion and just give wow. a bunch of young men guidance. And I think uh, if you were able to do that, you would basically be creating his legacy. Unfortunately, he died early. He took a spiritual quest in the desert and he ended up dehydrating and passing away. But really? <laughs> I think the mission wow. that you're going on, I think, is exactly what he wanted to do as well. And I think like a lot of other fighters would back you up on that, especially the older fighters that know Evan Tanner. I had a question. Do you think some of this is like destiny, right? Like, do you think like you have to struggle where now other people that are in prison or that are struggling, they're going to listen to you more because you went through it? Or do you think this is just like us finding meaning, <laughs> you know? And then like looking back, it's like, hey, this is where you ended up. How do we make do with it? I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I believe we have free will, our choices, but it's kind of a very loaded question there because it's like God God ultimately knows, I believe our Lord knows our destiny, but at the same time we have free will. So that's that's a very you can have an hour debate, 2 hours yeah, debate sure. on that. But yeah, man, I believe, you know, I could have made different decisions, but I believe what I went through did make me the person I am today. It made me have a unique audience for my ministry, for the people that I can reach. I can reach different people than you can, and you can reach different people that I can. And I feel that, you know, God had put a, a dream in my heart and a calling and a purpose. And unfortunately, I had to make a lot of mistakes. There was probably nothing nobody could have told me in the time that was going to help me. I had to go through it. And um, I see kids now that go through it and I'm able to help and mentor a lot of different people. But some kids I look at and I'm like, man, you just got to go through it. I can tell you got that look in your eye. No one's going to tell you nothing. And, and some people have to learn the hard way. And I was one of those people, unfortunately, because looking back, there's so many things it, it, like if you can learn off other people's mistakes, you're going to make it a lot further, a lot faster. So if you're listening to this, learn from other people's mistakes, learn from my mistakes. You know, unfortunately, though, some people need to just feel it and go through it. But 
you know, I believe God has a purpose and a destiny for everyone and God is good. It says it in scripture. So I believe, you know, we're going to go through trials and tribulations in this life, but that's what ultimately shapes us. And if you're going through a good time or a bad time, praise God, because it won't last. If you're going through a good time, praise God, because it won't last because we're going to have both of these in our lives. And at the end of the day, we have to see, is it is it a lesson that we need to learn? Is it an area we need to grow? Or is there a time we just need to praise because there is really good things that happen in our lives and we have to make sure we give the glory to God for that. Sure, 100%. And um, after being in the Canary Islands, you came to Rikers, you were a fugitive here, and then you ended up being freed. And then you've been on the straight and narrow. Like, you know, you were older, like you said, you accomplished your dreams, like you made it to the UFC. You were top 10 in the world. You had a fight with Kevin Gaslam that I thought was like amazing. You know, you had his back so many times and like Kevin Gaslam is one of my favorite fighters. Like I feel like one tough as hell. Mm-hmm. How are you still fighting? Yeah. So like you said, man, <clears throat> I definitely had some struggles when I got out of prison. You know, I ended up getting addicted to painkillers for a while. And that's when I really made the push to surrender my life to God. You would think everything that happened to me, all these encounters in prison would have been the the push for me to do that. But I still had to fall into a massive addiction that a lot of people can't overcome is painkillers, opioids, oxy. And, you know, that was a full surrender moment. I just lost my first fight ever in my career. I was getting ready to go to the UFC 8-0 as a professional, fighting for the LFA belt, got submitted, just was not living right outside of the octagon. And I w- when you don't live right outside the cage, all fighters know it, it shows inside. So that was a huge moment, a huge, that was when I fully surrendered my life and drug-free since then. Fast forward to now, you know, at, at that time I was broken. I was living in my buddy's basement. I was broke and I had no wife. After I gave my life to the Lord, truly surrendered it. I had three knockouts. I got in the UFC, broken in the top 10 and met my wife, married her, bought a house. All these good things were happening. But just because you do these things and you surrender your life to the Lord doesn't make your life just easy. There's still going to be trials and tribulations, but now you don't go through it alone. I got pushed into some heavy sparring probably when I should have rested. And, you know, I can only blame myself at this point, but I continued to injure my head and concussions. I had other injuries, but always injuries I could work around, you know, torn shoulder, fractured wrist. But I, after my last fight, I never got a real felt concussion symptoms after a fight. It was always in training. I'm sure the fights made it worse, but I didn't feel anything after because that adrenaline protects you. But after my last fight with Amomedov, I kind of fell off and I had a stint where my concussion, I've gotten concussions before in training and it would heal in like a month and I would come back too early, but this one wasn't healing for like six months. Finally it healed. And then I had a fight and then I went into the gym, took a good head kick and just spiraled out. And I had this pressure of like, I need to make money. I need to fight. I need to train this voice in my head. Like, bro, why are you not training? And a brain injury is hard because you get tricked because you're like, I don't see anything. Everyone doesn't see your injury. So therefore, a lot of people don't like think you are injured, but only you can feel it. And I tried to go back to the gym. And because I had a fight with Sam Alvey and I thought it was a great fight for me to come back on, get back on my feet. I had only fought killers. I only fought top 15 guys my whole career, except Gerald Mearshart. And other than that, I just fought these guys that are just all of them. There's still a lot of them in the top 10, top five mm-hmm. Brunson, Amomedov, you know, Gastelum, like, you know, fighting these top guys. And 
So after my fight, I took that head kick. I tried to come back, made it worse. I would show up to the gym. I would get so much anxiety. I would just sit in my car for half an hour and leave because it was like, it was this crazy feeling. And finally, I had to stop going to the gym because I kept getting hit. I was like, I'm going to go light. I won't get hit. Bam, I get hit. I get hit to the point where I was slurring my words. I did not feel myself. I had headaches all the time. If I was engaging in a conversation with you for like 20 minutes, like we are now, I'd have to go lay on the couch and just close my eyes and take deep breaths. And it was a, it was a scary feeling, man. It was a dark, dark time for eight to nine months of just, and I tried everything, man. I did all this brain recovery at McWhorter CNR in Colorado from the gyro stem hyperbaric chamber, Dynavision, glutathione pushes, NAD, NAD drips I was doing. And then I went to Mexico twice at the Cellular Performance Institute. And that was a big help. I got two injections in my brain stem of stem cells in my back intrathecally. And that helped a lot, but I think I came back just a little too quick. And now, you know, I'm still on medical leave. I still am on the roster with the UFC. The UFC has been great. Like I thought when I was going to tell them this, they're going to be like, bye. They were not. They were like, hey, let's help you. They sent me to some doctors and stuff, but I'd say I'm 80, 75 to 80% healed and I'm thankful I've been doing peptides that to help my brain. And I've just been letting it rest. I've still been training jujitsu. I've been training hitting mitts. I've been weightlifting. I've bulked up. I've been doing yoga, swimming, everything that's kind of non-contact to the point where I'm really listening to my body. If I feel symptoms, I pull it back before I was pushing through it. And that is the worst thing you can do. Like I, I, I hit up Bryce Mitchell on Instagram and I was just like, dude, if you don't feel symptoms, please heal, bro, because the brain can heal. But when you're in a culture of like, don't be a pussy and you and you and you go show up sparring and it's like, oh, I'll push through it. And that's how we're trained. You know, it's it's we're trained to push through stuff. But what I've realized is you cannot push through a brain injury. And unfortunately, man, it's it's been it's been a challenging time, but. I still hope that I can fight again. Thank God I found crypto. I've been full in crypto content creation. And I see these guys, these crypto influencers fighting in the karate combat and they have a coin and all that. And and I was like thinking about reaching out because I'm like, bro, that would be fun to just smash these guys. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it could even happen, but I don't even know if the UFC would be cool with it. But at the same time, I'm just like, I really, it's in my heart to fight again. Like I would love to go on another run. I believe I can. So these guys I'm training with that I was right there with or beating, they're catapulting their careers. They're going to main events. And it's like, I'm so happy for them, but it's a bittersweet because I know I had the talent. I know I still do. And it's just, everything feels good from the neck down. But when this is messed up, bro, it was a scary, dark time for me where I, I didn't care about fighting in that time. I was just like, all I want to do is feel normal. All I want to do is feel myself. And I'm starting to see there's a network of people out there that are struggling in the MMA community, people you wouldn't even expect. I found a network of them, and there's a lot of people really struggling, even worse than I was with brain injuries. And you're probably going to see a lot more of it in the near future, but I'm talking where you're borderline getting dementia and and CTE and, and scary stuff. The brain is scary, but... I do believe your brain can heal. It's just you have to give it the right ingredients, the right environment, stress-free. And unfortunately, a lot of fighters, if you don't, if like if I didn't find crypto and be working full-time in this, I'd have to find a job and the stress of that. And it's everything's so expensive right now, as everyone knows. And 
it would be tough, man. And I'm blessed that I have this opportunity. And, you know, I wouldn't wish a brain injury on my worst enemy because it is that bad. I'm glad you brought up Bryce Mitchell because that I've seen, I don't know how many fights in my life and I've never seen somebody knocked out like that and convulsing. And then also in that same card, you have Tony Ferguson, who in the past has talked about seeing things, you know, and it's amazing to see so many fans like myself. Like, I think we understand that this is like a dangerous game and that's part of what makes it exciting. But it's also like you have so many people that are like, yo, please stop fighting Tony. And I think right before we got on, Tony said he's not thinking about retirement, you know, and ever and like some people even commented, like, I think we're just going to boycott whatever card he's on because we don't want to support him, you know, getting hurt. It's just the, it's this yeah. like really fine line. You brought up one thing that I thought was interesting, like you're seeing these people fight that you've put up good fights with. Like, so I've always wondered that, like, does that MMA math happen to you? Like when you see Gastelum have a war with Izzy, are you like, yo, I'm right there, you know, yeah. and is that like pushing you? Yeah, I mean, at the same time, styles make fights. And on the other side of that, too, you got guys that don't train that good in the gym, but they're game inside the octagon. So you, you have to consider that. But, yeah, absolutely, man. Like, I felt like I had Gaslam's back in the third. A small mistake made me fall off. If I could have stayed on top, pounded him in, maybe caught a submission, like, that would have changed everything. And the same when I head kicked Brunson. I head, head kicked him here. I saw his eyes roll back in his head. He dropped if I would have head kicked it a little lower, that could have changed everything. So, of course, you always think about that. But, you know, it it is what it is. And going back to the Bryce Mitchell thing, honestly, I think it's better for your brain to what happened to Bryce Mitchell than what happened to Tony. And mm. hear, me, hear me out. Because when someone gets knocked out like that, slept. Now, when you choke someone out, they convulse too. It's kind of just your body like trying to restart the motor. So when people see him go out like that, everyone around him is going to tell him, bro, let your brain heal. You're good. Like, like, don't train right now. Everyone saw it. It scared people. But then you have people like Tony and maybe like myself. I've never been slept like that ever in my career. Knock on wood. But like snoring, like I've been dropped and like instantly woke up. But I feel that gives you more brain injury. First off, people look at you and they're like, oh, you're fine, bro. You're not hurt that bad. But at the same time, your brain doesn't have that restart. It kind of just bounces off the side of the skull, doesn't go out, and then you get hit again and again and again. And it's those repetitive hits. That's why you see boxers get dropped, get back up, and they already have a concussion. And then you're hitting the head. When the brain is concussed and swollen and it gets hit again, you're not 2Xing the damage. You're like 4Xing, 5Xing, 10Xing. Like that's where the real damage comes in. So I think someone like Bryce, I think, you know, it looked worse than it was. He's definitely have a concussion. He should chill. Everyone around him saw it. They know. But someone like Tony, like, oh, you're fine. You didn't take damage. And really, his brain got rocked around. It's probably swollen. And he, unfortunately, he'd probably go right back to training. Ugh, and uh, it's it's a little depressing. Oh, simple question. Do you consider yourself a fighter or an athlete? I would say a fighter. Do you think most people in the UFC see themselves that way? And do you think that's going to change? Like if more money comes into the sport, we're going to see more athletes or do you think it's just still a special breed of person that's going to be like, I want to fight to make money? I think to be a fighter, like a top fighter, you have to be an athlete on top of that. So mm-hmm. I think it's a combination. I wouldn't say it's one or the other. There's definitely fighters that are more athletic and they just pick it up. You know, fighters coming from football, pro wrestling, this type of thing. But I think you're going to see a combination. I've even considered it like a jump to WWE. 
after fighting. And, you know, I think that's just athleticism and, and, uh, you know, but I believe there has to be that fighter in the heart where like, you know, the normal instinct is getting hit is like going back. But most fighters, when they get hit, they come forward. So I think that's the fighter in people. And most of these fighters that are in the UFC have, have been a fighter outside of the cage too. In like myself and in, in, in against adversity of life, having to <laughs> fight for every little thing. Like most of these guys are not rich kids. These, these guys are not silver spoon fed kids. That's why it's kind of, it's kind of funny. Like the Jake Paul thing, and he's doing it for fun, but hey, he's doing good. I don't really know what's going on over there, but most fighters that you see are are fighting out of poverty, fighting out of a bad situation, fighting for an opportunity that otherwise they wouldn't have. So, you know, once they lose that, that, that thing they need to fight for, it's harder to become and stay a great fighter, a champion. I think there's even been like cultural waves. Like if you look at U.S. champions in boxing, I think like first you had like Italians yep. in like the 20s, like when they were immigrants and poor. And then you had like Irish guys when they were poor. And then, the like, you know, like Mexicans. and Sp- Like, it's just always like yep. this new wave of immigrant that's like poor and hungry. And those are going to be the ones that are just grinding and fighting. It's just strange. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Uh, have you have you thought about like doing any grappling events? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's going to be my first step is getting back into competition. You know, I want to definitely do some grappling. I love grappling, man. Wrestling is my first love. So, you know, I want to, this, this year capping off this year, all I focused on, I said, healing, healing. I put my body through a lot of damage through drugs, through fighting, through probably terrible food and situations and stress being locked up in several countries and and this last year 2020 2024 or 2023 was just the year of healing like i just kept telling myself like we're just healing this year we're just healing because i get anxious i'm like i need to go do something i need to do this but i'm like no i'm just grinding i'm I'm doing my thing making money and i'm just healing peptides everything i can do i've i've spent over 100 i've, I've spent over a hundred thousand easy on rehab healing supplements stem cells, all the things. I've probably spent over $200,000 in the past couple of years to heal myself. And what are you doing for work right now and crypto you mentioned since you aren't fighting as much? Like, how are you, or is this just like savings? I'm curious because me and Arturo, we're always talking about UFC fighter pay. We saw Pantoja, who's the flyweight champion, was doing Uber Eats while he was training to fight for the flyweight champion. Like, how difficult is this to do? Yeah, I mean, before I go into that, I just want to give a shout out to FHE, who's been helping me out with my brain recovery here. Crazy style of brain recovery, putting electrodes on the head, red light therapy, and it's been a tremendous help. Brain mapping, seeing where exactly where the trauma is, and it shows up right where it got hit, right where it got hit and where it bounced off the skull. But yeah, I mean, listen, man, there's there's a a lot of fighters who don't think about life after fighting, you know, and the fight to get to the top is a struggle. Only like 1% of fighters are really killing it as far as financially. The smart ones are making businesses outside of fighting as well. But then you have to balance it because when you're doing all that, you're taking time and effort and energy away from the actual fight game. You're trying, you need to give everything to the sport. To be the best in the world is not easy. You have to give you have to find, you can't leak energy. You got to focus it. But for me, I've been blessed that I've been able to use my platform 
to not only market certain crypto projects, started a show on Twitter. It's called Shill Tank. It's a crypto shark tank. So projects come up and pitch. We've been copied by so many people. There's actually a TV show now. And these guys started following us. And these are the big boys in crypto. And now they started a live TV show called Killer Whales, inspired by Shill Tank. We know this for a fact. So the big boys are doing it. Our show's more unique as far as it's live. Theirs is pre-recorded. So people find gems like we do. And I've been trading. I've been trading crypto. I bought a house while I was fighting. I had an investment property. So I had a rental. I've currently sold that and I'm all in on crypto. So, you know, this is how I'm making a living. I could even say I'm making more than fighting currently and not taking damage. So that's that's a plus. But it feels like the more you make, the more you spend, especially in this new economy, because <laughs> it's just like it's <laughs> everything's up in price. So it's like now you make more money, but now you got to spend more. But that's just what everyone's struggling with right now. So I'm blessed. Exactly. Man. If you but, didn't ask your boss for a 10 percent raise, you lost money this year. Yes. Right. And that's the way people need to think about it. They have to, they have to be like, I, I would say 20 percent. Yeah, 20% even, but still, you need a raise in line with inflation to make sure you're not being degraded, you know, in the in the actual workplace. Have you heard of Loopering? That's the only crypto I have. Oh, so yeah. I own some Loopering. Yeah. You like I it? Got, oh, yeah. I got in on that massive run-up it had, like, what, six months ago, eight months ago? I got, I'm spread all across the crypto markets. Pulse chain is a, is a, is a layer one blockchain that I think is going to do massive gains. That's my biggest position, but I'm spread across meme coins, utility coins, all across different chains, you know, all across different networks of crypto. And I know a couple of them are, or, or a few of them are going to hit for sure. And I see the freedom of crypto. When I was in fighting, I got in the AMC. I got in, uh, I saw what happened with GME, you know, the stocks and it was meme stocks. And then I was like, I made a bunch of money on AMC, but I saw how manipulated it was. And then I got in on Doge and I was like, well, I saw it because like AMC started flying up and then the stock would be halted, halted, halted. I saw them take the buy button away from, from GameStop. And I was like, yo, this is corruption on another level. Yep. And I realized the blockchain can't be frozen. The blockchain can't be stopped. The blockchain's freedom. It's decentralized. It's autonomous. It's 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 you know it's freedom of speech in the computer. And so I really grasped onto that. And Marshall Roganinu came on the scene, and there was a massive meme coin. And these guys paid two and a half million dollars to fighters. And I don't know if you remember that. It was like two seventy three or something. It was when Colby fought. They were paying fighters. They were doubling their purse, boom, 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 for a shout out. They probably went too hard because every fighter was like, "Thank you, Marshall Roganinu," which you know that's super taboo with the UFC. But and it's Joe Rogan's dog, by the way. But these guys were paying fighters, buying them new cars, like they were helping so many fighters, and I loved it, man. And unfortunately, they they got the UFC didn't like them. But now you're seeing the karate combat. They got a coin now that is called karate and. You know, it's a little mind blowing. They didn't hit me up to get me involved because I got a huge fight game audience and I have a huge crypto influence. But yeah, it's all good, man. I'm seeing these ideas and anywhere crypto can help fighters out. I'm all for it. Yeah, I might have to pick your brain. I have an internet startup. It's called Renta. So it's kind of like a Craigslist. Anybody can rent out any good service or space. So someone could rent you out as a public speaker or as like a personal trainer, you know, like a fight Mm -hmm. instructor, whatever the case Maybe, but uh, I've dabbled in the idea of like integrating some coin. Like right now we're just free, like Craigslist. 
Oh, I've bro, always thought about you like do that. Yeah, I'm gonna pick your brain over yeah. the over the coming months because uh, yeah. I'm sure there's one that already exists that would be useful as opposed to creating something new. I don't know, but uh, I like to see uh, yeah fighters and people just kind of expand their horizons and yeah you got to leverage your uh, platform for something good right. It seems like you're doing that economically, but also people that are struggling as well. I had a question. Like going back a little bit to like the prison reform stuff, do you ever get any like pushback from like people in the fight game when you say stuff like about prison reform? Because like at least I know when I post like videos like on our Instagram, we get half and half of our fighters where half of the people are like, yo, fuck this person. You know, they deserve everything that happened to them and they should get shot up. And then some of the people are like, ah, they deserved it, but they went too far. You know, like, do you ever get that? As far as like, like their punishment? Yeah, their or... punishment or just like, like, are you wasting your time? People that go to jail should go to jail and people that aren't like, you know, like, do you ever just get pushed back on? Yeah, I mean, definitely. There's, you know, I don't get that much pushback as far as like, people know the prison system's bad. Mm-hmm. We have, we are a first world country with a third world country prison system. We have, it's crime school. There's no reform. There's no weights. There's no activities. It used to be a lot different. If you treat a, a human being like a dog, they're going to turn into that, to that. You know, you got to give them an opportunity. And I've been to both of them. I've been through the prisons. I've been to Rikers Island. I've been to prison in Colorado, you know, and it's just basically sit around, play these board games and and fight over a toaster or like, who's, who's clicking my, who am I going to click up with? It's all about that. And it's like, it's retarded. It's it's yes. absolutely dumb. And in, in 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 Spain, wear your street clothes. Feel like an feel like an actual human. You're not in an orange jumpsuit. Whether that's good or not, it makes you feel more humanized. And then they say, "Hey, man, there's a workshop you can go to. There's school. And if you and if you get in trouble, you lose all your privileges. It makes sense to me. If you want to do activities, if you want to do sports, there's boxing. There's kickboxing. There's a gym." There's wrestling, like, come on, this is like, and, and if you have a wife or a legit girlfriend, you can get a conjugal visit and in prison here, there's nothing. And it's just like, it's, it's animalistic. I don't agree with it. I think we're broken. I don't think it's to reform anyone. I think it's an absolute business. And I think they want it to be a revolving door and they're tied in with pharmaceutical companies. And it's just, it's. It is what it is, man. If people want to go against it, they haven't been through it. They don't know. And mm-hmm. so if they're giving you pushback on that, I mean, I don't I don't have an opinion on like the death sentence and all that. I, I do believe if you do a heinous crime, you deserve the justice 100%. But at the same time, these guys for drugs and stuff like like I believe like the way they, they treat, there needs to be way harder crime, like punishment for certain crimes. You know, pedophilia, stuff like that. There needs to be like, I mean, you you need to be like done. Like there needs to be such a fear to get caught, but it's all messed up. The drug dealers get locked up the longest and other things there. It, it needs to be all organized and switched around. And but on your just your your typical young kid getting locked up, there needs to be some reform for this kid to actually make him a better person because you get spit out of prison. There's no job. There's no qualification. You can only do is be a barber in there. And when you get out, felons uh, don't get hired because no barber shop, no place will hire a felon and you can't get rent. It's just like 
you're you're disadvantaged. So of course you're just gonna go back to what you know and you're gonna just probably get in trouble again. Exactly. And then you're surrounded by those same people too, right? And they yep. have like a family base, so you're stuck. Yeah, yep. I used to volunteer and work with different uh, prison reform organizations. Yeah. And I always just thought it was a very interesting, uh, just an interesting topic because it's pretty bipartisan, you know, like Republicans should support prison reform in the sense of a lot of our government dollars are going towards that, you know, and if you want smaller government, you should diminish that. And a lot of liberal people should support it in the sense of being ethical, you know, and progressive yeah. and kind to people. And uh, yeah, we have the largest prison population in the world. So America has only 5% of the world's people, but 20%, I believe, of the world's prisoners, right? And we spend yeah. like hundreds of billions of dollars a year on policing and prisons. So I'm with you. I, I'm like a little bit radical, like violent crime should be its own thing, you know, pedophilia yeah. and violent crime and then like drugs and that stuff. It's like, they're going to keep doing it. You got to figure out solutions, teach them how to be a mechanic or a martial artist or something, you know, like give them some opportunity to do something else because chances are they don't have guidance and yeah, I love when I see fighters like yourself, like speak out on really important issues and having lived through it, you know, personally. Yeah, I only speak from experience, man. It's not like I'm just, I heard this from someone. I lived it. I lived it in multiple countries. I've been through the pharmaceutical and the doctors. Now my wife practices functional medicine and um, that's the only people I'll see is functional medicine. I will not go to a normal doctor. I've been over-prescribed antibiotics, which wrecked my stomach, made me have blood in my stool for a year. I've been prescribed two milligrams twice a day of Xanax after I was all tweaked out on Adderall from a 13-year-old. I've been you know, prescribed and misprescribed so many things that just want to push me pill after pill, and it's completely wrong. You need to deep dive into your blood work. You need to figure out your genetics. You need to figure out your nutrients, your hormones, your thyroid, all that, liver, kidneys, and you can optimize your performance, your health, and prevent disease instead of treat it. That's all they want, treat it. They want to just treat you. That's why insurance doesn't cover any functional medicine because it's preventative. And that's what I believe in because I've been through it and it's wrecked mm -hmm. me and it's wrecked friends around me. And a lot of people I know have died from prescriptions. Yeah. And the government like considers mushrooms, psilocybin to be like almost like a schedule one drug. But there's some companies getting involved in it now. And they've done studies on giving like ultra depressed people psilocybin magic mushrooms. And it's one dose. Right. And then they interview them six months later and 50 percent of the people are like, oh, I still feel it. <laughs> you know, and then they interview them 18 months later and then 40 percent of the people are like, oh, yeah, I still feel it. And it's like and I'm stupid because I invested in these companies and I lost a ton of money in these companies. but. In my head, I'm like, this is effective. But now I'm realizing they can't make money giving one dose every six months. You know, they need to have something where it's multiple doses a day. So it just yeah. keeps churning out. Yeah, microdosing. Yep. Uh, yeah, terrible. But uh, Ian, is there anything you'd like to share at the end, like what you're promoting, how our fans could find you, listen to you, work with you, support you in anything that you do? Yeah, I mean, look, man, if... If you guys have been rocking with me for years, you know, I'm not giving up. I hope you guys don't give up on me as far as fighting. You know, we'll see if God could do a miracle and heal me. I've been doing every single step that I possibly can, spending ridiculous money trying to get healed. And it's working, but it's slow. So uh, if you guys want to know more about crypto and what the Crypto Kings are, me and my partner, B Roots, check us out on the Crypto Kings YouTube channel. We got a YouTube channel as well as Twitter. That's where I do all my work stuff. If you want to learn more, 
The bull market is coming. I'm going to capitalize. It could be the last Wild West bull run we got. After this, it's going to be totally regulated and you're going to probably have to be a, an accredited investor to get in. So I'm going to capitalize on this opportunity. I maybe might even go into selling real estate after. It's I'm passionate about both of them. And of course, I want to open up this, this treatment center sometime in my life and really make a difference. And I appreciate you for, for having me on and you know, give these guys a follow on Instagram. They're they're one of the most based MMA medias out there. So I appreciate that. And yeah, that's all I got. Stay tuned for more. Follow me on Twitter, Ian Heinish MMA, and follow me on Instagram as well. Thank you, brother. Base is one of my favorite compliments. So that is definitely how I would like <laughs> our page to be described. <laughs> We're always going to fuck with you, man. We're always going to support you. And for me, it's not even just the fighting side of you, even if you never made it to the UFC. It's like what you're speaking about and you're mm -hmm. following. And so I just really admire that. All right. Appreciate so God it. bless, man. All God the bless, best. brother. Thanks for listening to the Philosophy of Fighting podcast. If you have any questions, suggestions, or if you would like to fight us, send us a DM on Instagram at philosophy underscore fighting.